Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is CSN's Wizards Tip-Off, presented by Commuter Connections. Here's your host, Chase Hughes. Wizards fans, what's going on? Welcome to the Wizards Tip-Off podcast presented by Commuter Connections. I'm Chase Hughes with our Wizards insider, Jay Michael of CSNMidAtlantic.com. In a little bit, we'll catch up with the Sixers insider for CSNPhilly.com, Jess Camarado. Obviously, a lot's been going on with the Sixers, so we'll get her perspective on that as well as some other things around the Eastern Conference. But today, we have to start with uh, what is so far the biggest news of the offseason for the Wizards, and that involves a report from David Aldridge of NBA.com. Here is what he wrote on Monday when discussing Paul George and his plans to leave the Indiana Pacers. He's already told the front office of the Pacers that next summer he plans to opt out of his contract, leave in free agency. His preference is to join the Lakers. He's from California. But Aldridge has this to say. Washington, to a lesser degree, could fit the bill too. And the Wizards are looking for a way to make a George deal happen. They don't have a player of Kevin Love's caliber to put in a deal. They're not moving Bradley Beal after the 23-year-old just had his best NBA season. Playing alongside Washington's backcourt of Beal and John Wall, after all, would be the selling point for George in D.C. End quote. He goes on to say that Otto Porter is someone that they could potentially trade. Um, he's an RFA, a restricted free agent, and that would have to be a sign-and-trade deal. And in order for that to happen, he'd have to take fewer years in that deal um, and smaller or uh, yeah, less money. Uh, Jay, a few podcasts ago, you made the case that the Wizards should go after Paul George. Now that you hear their support, now that you hear David Aldridge suggest that Beal is untouchable, uh, what's your reaction? Do you think there's any way that they could pull something like this off or is it just a pipe dream? That Beal is untouchable has been common knowledge for year, uh, several years, even before he signed his max deal. So um, that's not a revelation per se, um, because uh, I've said this repeatedly when Beal was a restricted free agent and folks are like, oh, let Beal walk. It's like the Wizards are not breaking up the backcourt. Forget about it. It's never going to happen. Um, now, if one of those guys decide when they become a restricted free agent or a free agent to, to leave or something, that's a different matter. But they are not going to break up that backcourt, because when you look at um, some of the better teams in the league, Golden State with Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Toronto with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, uh, what do they have? Really good backcourts. Um, and the game is more perimeter-oriented these days. So that Bradley Beal is untouchable um, is, uh, is, is you know, that, that's, that's been always been the case. There's always 
you know, the conditional language that we that, that we have today. Well, they could do this or they would do this. Um, I think that's true for probably 27 or 28 other teams in the NBA that would could or would be willing to make a deal for Paul George. Um, when you have an elite player who could be is on the market, then everybody's interested and everybody's going to make their intentions known. Um, the Wizards need a third star. Uh, so the other side to that is it's not going to be really intriguing <laughs> to Paul George anyway. If you say, hey, we want to make a deal and we're going to ship away Bradley Beal, it'll just be you and John Wall. Well, you know, it's a little bit better than what he has in Indiana, but is he any closer to a championship? No. Uh, so it's kind of a, an understood you need three guys, and the Wizards have been missing that third guy. So if you could orchestrate a deal to get Paul George without giving up Wall Beal or Otto Porter, would I do it? Yeah. But I think Otto Porter would have to be included. Yeah, but I, the I, prob- think, you, I think you're looking at four players. Kelly Oubre, Otto Porter, Marching Gortat, and Markeith Morris. Morris and Gortat because their contracts are fantastic in this salary cap. And Oubre and Otto because they're young players who could potentially get better, right? Those are the four guys. Maybe Boyan if you did a sign and trade I, with him, but it's probably a combination of those players and picks if there's even a prayer of getting this done without including Waller Beal. Okay, I say there's no prayer of getting it done, so I, I think this is all just hypothetical. That's fun to talk about. But it is fun to talk about. It's not, I mean, you know, but I have difficulty talking about, well, what if LeBron James opted out and could the Wizards get, yeah, I mean, I guess they could. I mean, anything is possible, but is it likely is the question, and that answer is no. Um, but, you know, if you get rid of Otto Porter in that deal, and you only have Paul George for one year. Guess what you have now when you go into the 2018-19 season? That's an season? important thing to consider. He's a got one year left. A huge hole at small forward. And you have to believe Kelly Oubre. I was talking to someone on the radio this morning about this. When they said, well, just make this move and, and uh, trade Otto Porter. I was like, okay, so if he leaves Paul George, which he, he's told you he's going to L.A. after one year. So now what do you have? You got a guy for one year. And you have a huge gap. And if you're telling me Kelly Oubre is going to be ready to be the starter, fine. But last year he shot less than 30% from three-point range. And in order to spread the floor and let John Wall and Bradley Beal do what they do, you have to have another three-point shooter on the floor. So you're making a short-term gain. You're winning the offseason so everybody can sing your praises. But two years from now, everybody's going to be telling you that's the worst, one of the worst deals that you could have ever made and all of a sudden, that's that's a bad move. So just because a trade or a possibility looks good now, would the, would the Pacers take, I don't know, Otto Porter and Marching Gortad and whomever and some draft picks, first-round draft pick from Paul George? Of course. But who's going to be dumb enough? I think enough? you do it at that point. If you, can, I, I think you say anybody but Waller Beal because you've seen these teams form starting with three players and figuring out the rest. Yeah, that's a way to fail in the NBA. Um, you do not make a deal based on one year. You just don't. Teams that do that lose. Teams that are smart. It, it's easy to have a knee-jerk reaction and just pull the plug and start throwing around these pieces to win the offseason. But what happens when you have to deal with the reality of the salary cap mess, uh, the holes you have in your lineup? But tell me this. What do you project what's going to be coming up? And this is a huge projection in the 2018 draft, the 2019 draft. Is there going to be somebody that you think or players – that you think can fill that void, who can play instantly, 
I mean, that's a huge guessing game. You're, you're guesstimating with ceilings. Oh, we can replace auto ported in. That sounds like a great idea now. But the other thing is, does it mean by making such a move that you're going to win the NBA championship? Is, is, is winning the championship, if you told me the Wizards could win the NBA championship next year by taking a gamble for this one year on George, okay, I could see that. But would they still be favored over Golden State? Not Golden State, but what about the finals? What if I told you that there's a good chance they could make the finals if they bring him in for okay, one year? And, so, if, and if they get that far, obviously he's going to consider resigning. He'd have to. Okay. Uh, no, he wouldn't have to. Why would he have to? Because he really wants to play at home and battle Golden State Warriors for the rest of his prime. Play at home? He would be in, in LA. He would be in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, he's from California. Right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But we mean he he would want he wouldn't want to stay in the he's he's already told you he wants to go to Los Angeles. I know, but I'm saying if. You, I mean, he's telling he's, you these he, guys have different priorities. He, he, I know he's telling you that you're basically a jump off, right? For one year, you're going to be his girl. And then after that, he's done with you. Now, if you want to go ahead and, and throw all your heart and commitment and time and finances into that, so be it. But when he leaves, you want to live the lifestyle for one year, but if he, he leaves and your team ends up a mess or completely takes two steps back after taking that one step forward, I don't want to hear about it. Well, all right. This interest alone, the Wizards' interest in Paul George, I think uh, says a lot about them. You know, I think a lot of people are focusing on Paul George, the player, but I think it, it says two things about them to me. One is that all of us who have saying that they need a third star, I think they feel the same way. I think they, they want to be very aggressive this offseason. I think it probably plays into your report that, you know, they'd like to sign John Wall to a contract extension. He wants to see the long-term plan. Them being aggressive, if they were able to bring in a player, whether it's Paul George or somebody else, that would obviously go a long way to making John Wall happy. Maybe it's not Paul George, but I think this shows us that they are intent on adding a big piece this offseason if they can pull it off. Secondly, and this ties into that, I think it, it tells us that they realize what happened last offseason and maybe they want to capitalize on the momentum that they have coming from this year. They saw last summer what can happen if one injury makes them miss the playoffs. You know, Bradley Beal uh, missed 30-something games last season and they missed the playoffs, even though they were a 500 team. That led to Randy Whitman getting fired. That led to uh, them not having very much momentum going into free agency. I don't think that was the reason why Kevin Durant get, didn't give them a meeting, but you have to think if they were as good as they were this past season that they would have a better chance at signing free agents. So I wonder if they look at that and maybe learn a lesson from that and say, hey, this might be the time to strike. We've won 49 games. John Wall was an all-NBA player. This stuff can be pretty precarious. We have some momentum. Maybe this is the time to strike. You can have what do you think about you, those theories? You can have momentum all you want, but the other thing you need is cap room, and they don't have it. Um, but in order to draw in free agents, you do have to have a, a good team or have some promise. I mean, veteran-proven guys, you know, let's say a guy who's accomplished like Paul George, but let's say his name isn't Paul George. His name is Joe Blow, uh, who's been in the league, you know, seven or eight years. Um, hasn't gotten to the NBA Finals, had some good teams, he's made a lot of money. Guys like that start to think about, the uh, well, man, you know, I may have five more years as an elite player in this league, and they want to win championships. So they automatically look at good teams. Are they going to look at Sacramento? Is Paul George going to look at, hell no. Uh, is he going to look to go to a team like Brooklyn? Of course not. Uh, now, players who look to go to teams like that, uh, are players who just want to get paid, who think they can get the best deal from them 
you know, you see like a, a veteran guy like Jared Dudley who left the Wizards. Did he leave the Wizards and go to a good team in Phoenix? No, but he went to a team that's given him a three-year deal at this stage of his career at $10 million a year. So guys have different priorities. Some want to cash out before their years are done. Other guys are willing to take a little bit less if necessary in order to win. So in order to put yourself in a reasonable conversation for Paul George, even though, uh, you know, every team that has um, any, I guarantee you teams like Portland, would they want Paul George? Of course. You could add him to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Of course they would. Will you get him? Probably not. Um, so, but in order to be in a conversation, you have to, in my opinion, have had a good season, a promising outlook so you can sell a future like, hey, this is what we can have. This is what we had without you. This is what we could have with you. So you do have to have, you know, hey, we're one game from the Eastern Conference Finals last year. We won 49 games. Uh, we didn't have Jan Mahimi for 50 of those games. We were um, we had John Wall coming off double knee surgery, and this is all the stuff we did. So Scott that's Brooks of, has proven that he, there's something to him as a coach. He, he's he brought this team to a new level that they hadn't been at. That's part of your pitch. And, you know, if, if you strike out, so what? Guess what? Most other teams are going to strike out too. But you have to take the chance in – uh, at, at seeing if you can get his ear. I, for, for me, the key is if he's any team with any common sense is going to say, okay, Paul George is going to commit to us beyond this year, then that's going to limit what Indiana can get back in a deal, period. Nobody in their right if mind is going to give true, up. If that is true, and I, we have no reason to, to doubt it, that report from Adrian Wojnarowski, who would trade for him? Unless you're the Lakers. I mean, who would trade for him? I, I don't. I don't know. It's 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 a it, very unique situation. If, if you can unload, um, if you can unload certain guy, like maybe, you know, there there'll be some losing teams that I'm sure that would be willing to give up a lot of stuff for him. But teams that are established, that have a direction, that have an identity, aren't going to be who have promise like the Wizards. I don't think they're going to be quick to jettison the long game for the short game because, like I said, it's going to give you a quick high right now and you're going to be over the moon. But in another year when he walks out the door and you have nothing in return for him because you're, not only, you're only going to probably get Paul George in that deal. Now you got nothing. Now Indiana, maybe they only have Otto Porter, but they have your first-round draft pick. And maybe they have uh, maybe a Marching Gortat or whoever else or a Kelly Oubre. They at least have something to show for Paul George's departure. You have nothing. That's the risk. I still think that there's something to be said about the Wizards going after what is probably the best player available this offseason. They went after Kevin Durant. It didn't work. Right. So going after and striking out doesn't matter. That's true. Unless you hit, it doesn't matter. Everybody, every team goes after a top five top 10 player, which Paul George is. If you don't make a call or to try to figure out if there's a way you can get Paul George, you're not doing your job. So they're supposed to do that. I expect that for me, that's par for the course. You're supposed to do that. If they get closer to this or pull it off, uh, Wizards fans are going to go nuts. They're already going nuts over this. The interest is They go nuts no matter what. <laughs> Okay, this is the Wizards Tip-Off Podcast presented by Commuter Connections. A couple clicks is all it takes to share a ride to work when you want, where you want, for free at commuterconnections.org or 800-745-RIDE, R-I-D-E. The Carpool Now app is also available. 
Now, speaking of the Wizards and the Eastern Conference and uh, changes potentially being made, you wrote a, a column this morning uh, about the Cavaliers and about how the moves they made in their front office, they fired their GM, they also fired another executive. Um, LeBron James then had a kind of cryptic tweet afterwards, kind of taking the side of David Griffin uh, and and maybe throwing some shade at, at Dan maybe, Gilbert. Maybe, maybe. Uh, it was a very calculated, uh, you know, specifically written tweet. Um, I have kind of a crazy question here because oh boy. you made the case that, look, this could be a major mistake by the Cavaliers so bad that LeBron James might start thinking elsewhere. People are, are starting to throw these things out there. Um, some have said that he, he might look to L.A. just like Paul George and say, what about the Lakers or the Clippers? What if he does sour on Cleveland and he looks around the league and he said, hey, I don't want to go to the West. I'm too smart for that. I don't want to compete with the Warriors. What, uh, if, he, what if he looks around I the Eastern Conference and, and says, hey, what's a team on the rise? What's a team with, I don't know, maybe two stars that I could join and, and make another super team? D- does that sound like anyone? Let me tell you what. If he actually had that sentiment, everybody but Wall and Beal are on the table. <laughs> Every draft pick. I'm making that happen. Well, I'm saying, what if he can leave in free agency? Well, Th- this he, would be after next season, well, right? Well, yeah, yeah. He has an op- He has a player option for 18-19, uh, 2018-19. Right. So, um, what if there's another decision? What if Jim Gray is sitting, you know, across from? Okay, him they again won't be another one. Of, they, they won't be another one of those. I think LeBron will opt out regardless because he would probably want to negotiate, renegotiate, and get more money uh, as a salary cap continue if it as it continues to grow. So. From a business standpoint, I would expect him to do that regardless, um, just so he can get paid. Because mm-hmm. um, that prob that would be his. I'm I'm suspecting that he would have the normal lifespan of most NBA players. That would be his last, uh, big contract. I think. Um, so he'd want to get. It's paid. amazing, by the way, the power he has, where and the confidence he has in himself. You, you don't see this in any other sport, where the guy just re-ups on one-year deals, one after another, essentially. Yeah, it's a risk. You bet on yourself. You bet, and you also bet. But he the, knows thirty teams will give him that contract. He knows that, and you're. But you're also the risk you take. You know, the one risk you take is a catastrophic injury, which if you only sign these short-term deals. You know, obviously, if you snap your leg in half, like, Ron doesn't get injured, so I think yeah, he's he good doesn't. There. But here's the thing, though: he'll be thirty-three next season. So, you know, it's look, I think even if he broke both, he blew out both knees, he'd still get max money when he came back from somebody just because they think that he's invincible right. and he'll be able to, you know, come back from it. But, um, I mean, yeah, if, you know, yeah, he could look if, if LeBron jumped teams, I'd be surprised if he went to the Western Conference just because of Golden State. I think he's too smart for that. Um, I think, but see, that's why I, I don't know if I said it on this podcast previously, or maybe I was just on the radio station talking to some folks about it, but I think as a result of golden state, I don't know if we're going to see it this year, but I, maybe we'll see it over the course of a few years, provided golden state stays a superpower, which they are right now. A lot of free agents, I think could opt to come to the Eastern conference, especially veteran proven guys, because they think their path to the finals is going to be easier on this side. So as a result... Except for Paul George, apparently. Except for Paul George, right. He's going to... Look, if Paul George ends up with the Lakers, I almost wouldn't want to take him because, you know what, if you're that stupid to want to go to a team, you, you've heard me paying that Lakers team. They have so much uncertainty around them, not only in terms of talent, you don't know what kind of GM that Magic Johnson's going to be. Um, they're living still, to me, off their glory years. You want to go ahead and toil for the next two, three years... Uh, in obscurity with no clear plan on... Hear LeVar Ball shouting from the stands yeah, I, to pass Lonzo the ball. I, yeah, so you'll be home. 
Hey, I, I would have thought players would have learned, particularly veteran players would have learned from Carmelo Anthony going home in New York. How has that turned out? Right. You know, you're so desperate to go home. You're willing to sacrifice all of these things. He had one really good year when he won 56 games. I think they made it to conference semifinals. That was the aberration. Uh, they've been terrible for the most part. So be careful on what you ask for about going home because it can turn out to be miserable. Dwayne Wade in Chicago. How was that this past season? Leaving Miami, he was mad at Pat Riley. How did, how did Dwayne Wade in Chicago work out? They, they made the playoffs, barely. They pushed Boston up. But, man, they really underwhelmed. And so it's not always cooked up. It's all, always going to be what you cook it up to be. So, uh, But I think, though, we could see an eventual migration of some of these free agents who are saying, wow, you know. Maybe I'm, Gordon Hayward. Yeah, maybe I'm, DeMarcus Cousins. Exactly. I'm choosing between, wow, but. I can get the similar money or the same money over here. You know, Chris Paul and Blake path. Griffin are, they could hit free agency yeah. this summer. I wonder if they look at the West and say, why would I stay here? Yeah. Why don't I go East and make it easier for me? Yeah, you could easily win 60 games in the West and never make it to the NBA Finals with Golden State there. Right. So I, I, I think as a result of that, there could be a, a, a shift. You know, remember, I don't know if you remember about, eh, about four years ago when, uh, a four, I think it was Oklahoma City, when Scott Brooks got fired from OKC. He had a 47-win team that didn't make the playoffs. A 47-win team. That's how deep the West was because the— And, uh, you know, Kevin Durant got injured that year. Right. And, and, um, and, and so—but you saw how loaded the West was from top to bottom. And the East was pretty, you know, pretty—it's pretty bare. So I think now you could eventually—we could be talking about two or three years uh, where in the Eastern Conference— Maybe that kind of thing happens because so many good proven veterans decide to go to the East because they think their path to the finals is easier. And this imbalance has really existed for almost 20 years now, almost since Shaq went to uh, L.A. from it's cyclical, Orlando. It's cyclical. Um, but I was looking at the standings just the other day, back in 2002, uh, you know, when we were having a, a debate in the office um, you know, about whether the NBA is better now than it was then. And the Western Conference was was deeper, I think, back then. But now it's probably worse than it's ever been in terms of the top heaviness. You've got the Warriors and the Spurs, and you can be as good as the Rockets, you can be as good as the Clippers, the Jazz, but you don't really have a shot of getting out of the West. Right, and that's why you know that's why I think the East could be the beneficiary. And then we'll be having this same discussion about, wow, this is unfair, it's imbalanced. Look at the East. I mean, come on, look at it. The East, what happens is the worst teams get, usually, unless you trade them away, the better draft picks. But that's the thing. Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns, probably the two best number mm-hmm. one picks we've seen yep. you know, in the last seven or eight years. Pretty good. They both went to the West. Right. And But what you're going to see now, you see Philadelphia, um, Boston, with all the picks they get. Philadelphia has a buttload of picks in this upcoming draft. I think they have a total of four. I think Boston has four. Milwaukee seems to really know what they're doing. Yeah. And so, as a result, it, now, that's predicated on them making the right decisions. You don't make the right decisions with those picks. They're worthless. I mean, it's only worth... It's only as valuable as you make it at, uh, when it comes to when you gauge in prospects and potential and making draft picks. But if all things go accordingly, then in theory, the better players, at least the young guys coming through the draft, most of them will go to the worst teams. And if the lesser teams are in the Eastern Conference, then if they pan out, most of them pan out, those teams get better, right? And the West kind of, in theory, stabilizes free agents who are looking at Western teams and Eastern teams, if it's between the two, unless you, look, like I said, unless you're really saying, hey, I want to take the most money, I don't care where it's at, 
or you're like Paul George and you want to play at home no matter what, then maybe those factors don't matter. But in theory, then the East gets more of those key free agent guys. So the East comes up a little bit and the West goes down a little bit. And maybe you can have competitive balance for a little while, but it eventually always goes lopsided. I mean, every decade or so, um, this kind of stuff happens. And it's, I, I don't know if there's any easy answers. I don't know how you can prevent it unless you had, I think the only way you could prevent it, if you just instituted a straight hard cap like the NFL has, which which other than that, with the NBA, with that flex cap they have, it's 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 kind of hard, I think, to achieve that. Speaking of guys moving east, just imagine the possibilities if a Chris Paul decided to join the Pacers and team up with Miles Turner and Paul George. That would be a really good team that would probably give him a better chance of going to the finals than he has right now. Why the hell would he want to go to Indiana, though? Hey, I'm just saying. That, that just it, well, you're correct paper, about That's a pretty good roster. You, you would say it's uh, give him a better chance to go to finals, but my gosh, yeah. man, I'd be <laughs> depressed. All you got, the only thing you have in Indianapolis are Steak and Shakes and St. Elmo's, which is a great restaurant, by the way, but that's about it. Right, right. Speaking of the Eastern Conference, uh, you mentioned Philly and Boston. I want to get Jess Camerato, the uh, CSN Philly Sixers insiders take on this. We'll go in depth on the trade, but what do you think this means for the East? Uh, the Boston Celtics um, are shipping the number one overall pick to Philly. They're probably going to take Markel Fultz. Philly, in return, gave them the number three pick this year and then a future first round pick. That's either going to be next year's Lakers pick if it falls outside of the number two through number five range. If if it's protected within that range, it's going to be the uh, Kings pick the following year. Um, what do you think this means about the East? Because obviously the Sixers uh, made a pretty bold move to try to get better in the short term because they gave up two first-round picks for, for Markel Fultz. And Boston's still, still going to get a, a very good player this year, the number three overall pick, but now they've, they've got even more assets than they had before. Well, it, what it's going to mean is, okay, I'm going to assume that Cleveland at least, because they'll, they'll have LeBron this year, regardless of what eventually happens long-term. So... I mean, I'm I'm still making Cleveland the favorite just because they still would have at least LeBron and Kyrie Irving. So, um, regardless of what they do with the other guys, um, Boston can close that gap uh, a little bit. I still wouldn't put Boston over Cleveland unless they orchestrated a trade, which seems to be possible uh, to bring in a veteran guy. Because even let's say they keep the number three pick, and it's um, you know some of the names that you you know you see out there. It's a lot of these other guards, it's very rare that a guy is going to jump in, whether it's De'Aaron Fox or if it's Josh Jackson or even a Markel Fultz sort of player, Lonzo Ball. It's rare one of those guys is going to come in and basically have Boston be a better team than Cleveland at this point. But they would close the gap, I think, um, in, the, in, the, in the longer term. So I think what happens in the East is you still have Cleveland. Boston, which was the number one seed this year, will have created more separation from the rest of the East. Um, Philadelphia, I think, comes from the bottom, and at least I think Philadelphia could be a seven or eight seed at um, this year. I mean, I think they could potentially be sixth if all the best case scenarios pan out for them. So you bring up the bottom a little bit, you have a better roster at the bottom, a uh, better team at the bottom. Um, but still, I see between one and two, there's still a gap from three and the rest. I don't think Toronto is going to be better. Um, I don't know if the Wizards can be better. The Wizards could be better, but I don't think they're going to be better because of any moves they make outside of pulling off a major trade. If the Wizards make a major move or improve significantly, they're going to have to do via trade because they don't have the salary cap room to sign a big-name free agent. And um, 
they have the number 52 draft pick. So that player probably isn't going to be a game changer right away. So um, the one thing the Wizards can do better regardless is just play better defense than they played against Boston. If they did that, they'd have been in the conference finals. Uh, so, But I still think between Boston and Cleveland, there might be a little bit of a gap. And then you get to three and four. Um, and I don't know if there's any separation, how much greater the separation is between three and, say, number eight. Because the East was more competitive. Uh, this year. So I would put Cleveland and Boston as the cream of the crop who could potentially separate themselves from the pack. Now, we're talking about a bigger picture beyond this upcoming season. We're looking at year two, year three from now. Uh, I think it's completely up in the air and Boston might be in the best position because they have so many picks to they don't to me they don't have to win the championship this year or this upcoming season or they don't have to be, you know, get to the NBA finals. But I think in two years, three years, we may be talking about them as a team to beat in the East, not Cleveland, even if LeBron stays in Cleveland. Because, again, he's going to be, what, 35? And, you know, who, who knows? And obviously this discussion is probably going to be very different in just a few weeks because we'll have the draft, uh, we'll have free agency. Boston's got so many things that they can trade. There's... So many rumors out there Jimmy Butler might land with one of these teams, so it will all be very interesting. Uh, we want to go in-depth on that Boston and Philly trade with CSN Philly's Sixers insider Jess Camerato. We'll do that right after a word from our sponsor. A couple clicks is all it takes to pay your bills, to share your thoughts, and now to share a ride. A couple clicks gives you more options to more places for free. Register to ride share today at commuterconnections.org or 800-745-RIDE. Try our new Carpool Now app, too. And now we welcome in Sixers insider Jess Camerato from CSN Philly. Uh, obviously, a lot of things have been going on with that beat. Uh, they've been making a lot of news this week, uh, most notably, of course, with the trade for the number one overall pick with the Boston Celtics. Uh, Jess, I'm, I'm sure it's been a crazy time for you. What's been the reaction in Philly to this deal? Because obviously they had to give up two first-round picks to move up two spots. Oh, fans here are so excited about this pick. I mean, Colangelo is not naming names, but we can all figure it's Markel Fultz. He was here on Saturday for a workout, came up from Maryland. Actually, it was a crazy story on Saturday. He, uh, it, the trip from Maryland should not have taken this long. It ended up being three hours because it was raining and there was a country music festival, a country music <laughs> concert, rather, that was happening in the, at the arena that shares like, the same parking lot as the practice facility. So it was absolutely crazy. But during that whole day, I mean, he hasn't even arrived yet. My, my Twitter feed was like, where is he? Where is he? Send <laughs> pictures, send video. Is he there yet? And like all the media were sitting in the parking lot watching every car that drove, it drove into the gate trying to see who it was. So that day was just, it was nuts. But fans are definitely excited. This is a player that I think any team would be excited for. When you look at the fact that the Sixers were able to throw so many protections on those future picks so they avoid a Brooklyn Nets type situation, I don't see how you can't be happy as a Sixers fan. Yeah, and, and the other thing with Philadelphia, Jessica, is that um, you know you look at the amount of picks that they have. I mean, this is a pretty deep draft, um, and you you got some second round selections there too. So, not only could you add Fultz, but you can add some other guys pretty deep in the draft. They already fortify a roster that is supposedly going to have Ben Simmons healthy and Joel Embiid and Dario Saric. I mean, this team could be a playoff team next year, or is that a little bit of a stretch? Am I, am I going a little bit too far right there? 
Well, you know, we are talking about the Eastern Conference, so I don't think anything is too much of a stretch. It was funny. The, the day that Joel Embiid back in January said we could make the playoffs, at the time, it, it just seemed like such a long shot. And then they went 10-5 and five that month. And look, I mean, are they going to win and contend for a championship? No, that's not where they're at right now. But the way the Eastern Conference is, we saw the run the Miami Heat made, almost making it into that eighth spot. So I, if players stay healthy, there is a chance they could get in there. But the Sixers, in terms of what they're going to do in the second round, I mean, they have four picks, and there's not enough room on the roster for all those guys. So I do expect them to trade, try to trade out of the draft, do a draft and stash, or even try to move up. Colangelo said that just because they got the number one pick, that doesn't mean they're going to stop trying to see what else is out there. He really likes this draft class and feels like maybe it's worth trying to grab the players now versus waiting for, uh, for when those other picks convey. Jess, I'd love to hear your take on this. You mentioned your Twitter mentions blowing up. Uh, mine have been blown up for a very different reason, and that is with the hashtag RT Armageddon. Oh, my uh, gosh. Because I said something about Sam Hinkie a year ago, and uh, Sixers fans are now uh, really kind of pumping their chests <laughs> up, uh, trying to you know, claim victory here. I'm interested, why do you think fans were so ready to kind of buy into what he called the process and just being kind of upfront about tanking? Obviously, uh, there were some detractors out there. I might be one of them. But it seems like the fans in Philly really bought in and have kind of uh, looked at Hinky as this, this savior, even though he's not even there anymore. Yeah, that would be a good way of putting it. I mean, there is a large group of fans here that have just been in it from the beginning. And Hinky, yes, I mean, they had like a, a bear-raising ceremony for him <laughs> um, at, a, <laughs> at, a, at a sports bar in Philadelphia. I mean, look, the plan is paying off, right? And what we're seeing happen is all of those picks that were like, what's going on and what are these assets and what's that second round protected for this player that we've never heard of? All of these things are coming to fruition. And draft picks are the most valuable thing. And after covering the Celtics for as long as I did, that was the one thing that stood out from that organization. All these little pieces when you see a press release and you're like, I'm not quite sure what 2020 second round protected if it conveys is going to mean. Well, in these types of situations, it could mean getting a big player. Yeah. I mean, you know, when it comes to fans, I know, you know, from this side here in DC, when you, when you talk about protected picks and uh, trade exceptions, fans don't generally, at least here, get that whole idea. Like, cause they don't see the long game. They see this upcoming season. Oh, that's a terrible deal. And then it turns, it comes to fruition. You realize it was a great deal. Uh, for the record, I've been a huge fan of what Sam Hinkie was able to do. I wish he was able to to finish out his masterpiece. Um, <laughs> but um, hey, look, and I'm a huge – I'm from Louisiana, by the way, so uh, I'm a huge Ben Simmons guy. Um, so w- where do you see Ben fitting in? I know there was talk about, well, he could be the point guard and run the offense as a point forward kind of the way LeBron does in Cleveland. Do you think uh, – and w- what have you seen from Ben Simmons that tells you that he's going to be ready to step in. And how soon do you expect, you know, uh, based off what you've seen, him able to, I guess, come to fruition and, and play like a number one overall pick? We haven't seen much of Ben Simmons on the court. I mean, he got injured right during training camp. And, you know, the NBA rules, like, players, when they're, not, when they're still injured, we don't, we don't see them. We don't see parts of their rehab and things like that. So he's been around. He's been around the facility, him. Embiid, Robert Covington, TJ McConnell, all those guys have been there watching the workouts. And Ben was around, ben was around on the court the other day, just kind of like lightly shooting, not in basketball shoes or anything like that. 
But the Sixers are hopeful that he will be healthy. The plan is for him to be ready at the start of the season. And it's really going to be interesting with how they're going to use him because the the term point guard doesn't necessarily categorize him. Colangelo was actually talking about this um uh, talking about this just yesterday, and he was saying that it's more like the term ball handler. It's just going to be the person who's bringing the ball up the court, kind of like when you talk about those bronze situations when he runs the floor. And that's why getting somebody like Fultz is so important to how they're going to build their roster because you really need a guard that can play off the ball. It's going to be a really interesting dynamic, but on this team I, I expect a lot of positions next season to kind of almost be positionless. The players are going to be looking for are guys that can play two or three roles. Yeah, and, and can you speak to Brett Brown? I mean, look, I'm a firm believer that a coach's record can be misleading. You can have a horrible record or not a, a very glossy record, and you could still be a really good coach. Or you could have a great-looking record and be really overrated. And where Brett Brown falls for me, I see a team that in the recent years hasn't been very good record-wise, but they play hard, they play defense, they're tough. I mean, they gave the Wizards absolute hell last season. Without Embiid. <laughs> without Embiid. <laughs> without Ben Simmons. Uh, what has been Brett Brown, what's been the, the secret to, I would say his success, even though most people, like I said, will look at his record and say, well, that's not really successful. What has he been able to do to kind of set the foundation to, uh, aside from you know the, the players that he's potentially going to have on the roster, but in terms of the mentality, the way he has him playing, I like the way that he has his team playing. And, and what have you seen from him, and what his strengths are as a coach? The reason why that he's been successful, and I do use that term because you really have to throw out his overall record. The, he did. He wasn't coaching NBA teams. He was just coaching like random players that were here for ten days and then left, and, and may not have even been in the league after that. In a lot of the cases. What he has done that has been successful is he has kept these guys together. He's really a player's coach. So when you have the situation that he's been in, when the losing is mounting and the losing is expected, he's kept the locker room together. He's kept these guys focused. And these are young guys. And you know how it is with some young players sometimes. They come in, they're high draft picks, they're from good schools, they have egos, they've been the man since they were like 14 years old. And they just want to do what they want to do and not listen to anyone. But he's kept this group looking forward, and I really feel like if you're going to judge him by any record, it's that 10-5 and in January. That was really the first time that he had a chance to coach an NBA team. He hasn't had that. He's just had, like, this motley crew of people and then some good players that are healthy some days but not the other and no backstacks. And that, to me, that month of January really was the first time that we saw what Brett Brown can do as an NBA coach. You tweeted something yesterday that was very interesting. A lot of people picked up on it and wrote blogs. It was a quote from Danny Ainge, and the quote said, We think there's a really good chance the player that we'll take at three was the same player we would have taken at one. Uh, That suggests that Markel Fultz maybe wasn't their guy. What did you make of that quote? What did you think he meant by it? Well, come on. Do you think that Danny Ainge was really just going to give someone the pick he wanted? (laughs) No, no, no. Danny Ainge always has a master plan. That's why the Celtics have been able to be so successful when it comes to these types of transactions. I would expect them to go with um, you know, a wing player in this type of situation. They have Isaiah Thomas. They don't necessarily need Markel Fultz in this situation. But what was most interesting to me about that was when Colangelo said that Mike Zarin, who is this brilliant man behind the scenes for the Boston Celtics, had actually been calling him 
about that Lakers pick for what felt like a year and a half with Colangelo. So guessing that means once he, uh, once he got involved with the Sixers, the Celtics love picks. They just love them some picks. And the fact that Zarin and the Celtics had been very active about wanting that future pick makes me think that maybe this trade wasn't necessarily about them trading down for three as much as it was getting that future pick. Okay, Jessica, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers will win blank games next season. Oh, my gosh. There has to be such a big asterisk, though, with all of these <laughs> Well, yeah, look, take into account, you know, there's a lot of Are we pretending everyone's pieces. healthy? You're pretending everyone's healthy. You're assuming best-case scenario that um, they, if they draft Fultz, that he turns out to be a good player and Ben Simmons is healthy and Joel Embiid plays most of his games. What's the best-case scenario for the Sixers? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with an at they win and a situation where they win at least because again it's gonna okay. be. I'll I let you. I'll let you hedge it. Go ahead. They win at least forty. Okay. Ooh. Okay. It's it's everyone's healthy. They neared thirty wins this past season, and that was with like that hodgepodge of whoever was available on any given night. But certainly that January that I've talked about like five hundred times on this podcast <laughs> really helped booster that. But that month was really. It's kind of a look into their potential. So I don't think that 40 wins for them is ridiculous if they all stay healthy. And it could be higher than that. But there is certainly so much room for improvement. The thing is, is even if these guys are healthy, there's going to be a transition period where you have players that have never played in the NBA playing together for the first time. And that will be Simmons and Fultz or whoever they take at number one because they're not saying. Hmm. But there will be a period of time. And then you're going to have Simmons who's playing like whatever position they're going to have them playing. So don't expect it to just be smooth sailing all the way. There's going to be some bumps in the road as with any team, like we've seen with the Timberwolves and things like that. But I don't think 40 is out of reach for them. Obviously, if they draft Fultz, that's a major acquisition. But what can you kind of foresee for the rest of their offseason? What would be the, the next move, or would that be basically the, the it in, as far as big acquisitions, and it would be just kind of filling out the roster? They have to go out and add some veterans. Um, aside from Jared Bayless, Nobody on the roster is over 25 or 26 years old. When you have this many young players, it is critical to surround them with veteran play with veterans. Like, you know, we've seen with the Warriors and championship teams, there are veteran experienced leaders in those guys' ears. But unlike the Elton Brand situation where they signed him to kind of be a locker room guy, I would think this would be somebody who's actually going to be on the court with them. So I've been saying since the very end of the season, I would love to see the Sixers go out and get J.J. Redick. I think he's exactly what they need. He's an instant offensive spark, and he can help these young guys just be a true professional. He's been through the playoffs. He understands what it takes. He's had a long career at this point. That's somebody that these guys can learn from. Yeah, I agree when it comes to veterans. When I look at teams like Boston, Boston is a little bit more of a veteran team in Philadelphia, or the Sixers, when you have so many picks that, especially in the second round, you can usually package some stuff and, and, and make a move and and bring in a veteran somewhere who can actually help you on the court. So uh, I think that, that would be a good move for him. But let's go a little bit broader Eastern Conference before we let you go. Um, how, how do you see the East shaking out? There's so much potential turmoil, <laughs> not only with Cleveland, Chicago. Oh um, based on uh, what your perspective is from there in Philadelphia, uh, how do you think this shakes out? Are we going to see a change in power, you think, um, with LeBron in Cleveland, even if he stays? Because – their front office is uh, looks uncertain right now. Both LeBron stays. I, you know, I think wherever LeBron is, that's where the power is. Um, so if he stays, I don't see that. You know, I gotta say, 
That Wizards team, they are quite intriguing. That, to me, is the, is the team to watch because they just, of the teams, they seem to have, like, the most uptick right now and the most momentum to build upon. I'm, I'm really intrigued by the development of Otto Porter. I'm curious to see what they do in the offseason in terms of whoever else they, they bring in. But that backcourt, man, that's dangerous. There's a dangerous backcourt with those two. So that, to me, is definitely my team to watch. Toronto, you have to look at, see what's going to happen with the Kyle Lowry situation. And then you get when you get to, you know, spots like five, six, seven, eight, it's always like a, it's always like a mishmash of what's going to happen. That's really the, there's so much room for opportunity for other teams like the Sixers in, a, in the Miami Heat to get in there and, and try to make the playoffs. I've got one more question for you just because I need a Philly perspective on this. And okay. that is, uh, Kevin Durant made some interesting comments after the NBA Finals saying that he thinks Kyrie Irving is more skilled than Allen Iverson. At first, it made it seem like he thought Kyrie Irving was a better player than Allen Iverson. Then he kind of walked that back and said it was more about skill. It, it, he still suggested that Kyrie Irving is better than Allen Iverson. I have to imagine there were people in Philly that that, that, that did not settle well with. Um, what was the reaction around town to those comments? Because... Uh, you know, Iverson is a Virginia guy, played at Georgetown. There were a lot of people around here that were saying that's absolutely not true. You can't say anything about Allen Iverson in Philadelphia. <laughs> you get jumped. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It could be like it could be like Kyrie Irving is better at painting a watercolor than Allen Iverson. And the answer here is just no. Allen Iverson is better. <laughs> and, and by the way, um, I, I, I go back to Kyrie Irving when it comes to this. I do this every time when people talk about him. When LeBron wasn't on his team, what was the most wins he led Cleveland to? 33. Right, you know, 33. I, say, I actually wrote about that. I said that the Cavs team that the Sixers should try to emulate is that 13-14 team before uh, LeBron came back because that was when you saw Kyrie and uh, Tristan Thompson develop, and they were surrounded. But that was, that was like a veteran stack team. They had Dang, and they had a bunch of other guys in there. But they were able to develop. and then. They were ready for another free, like a big name free agent to come in. And that's the thing with the Sixers. They don't have to go out and get a huge free agent this summer. Develop them, build a better young foundation, and then bring in the guys, the players, the younger players, will be at that next level. And they'll be able to maximize that addition a lot better. Well, it should be interesting. And I have to say I'm happy for all those in Philadelphia that have you know, sat through these last few years and, and now really have something excited to, exciting to watch these next uh, few years. This is going to be an exciting team. And the good thing is the Sixers and Wizards play each other like 800 times. <laughs> yeah, the there you go. Hey, well, hopefully Embiid plays season. this time. Hey, by the way, yeah. hey, but by the way, even though they play a lot, Jessica has had gone to dinner with Chris Miller, but not me. We, you know, we, we try to get this whole like CSN thing where we're Chris Miller gets uh, in ahead of the line. Oh, I know over that. Me, sit which well I, with you. Look, anytime. But did it, I, that just did makes I not me give you the best restaurant recommendation? Yes, in Philadelphia? you did, and I am so hooked on it. I go there every single time. Which restaurant is this? It's Fan Pan. Yes, it is amazing, and I will join you next season. Yes, and you're gonna pay, and uh, no Chris Miller, <laughs> no, no, no Chris Miller. I cannot have him around. <laughs> Jesus gives me a headache. But yes, well, Jessica, thank you for joining us so much. We really appreciate it. Look forward to. Uh, Doing it again soon, particularly uh, maybe when we get closer to the season. Perfect. Have fun at the draft. All right, Jay, I got to get your take uh, with some more detail on Kyrie Irving versus Allen Iverson. We'll do that uh, right after a word from our sponsor. 
A couple clicks is all it takes to pay your bills, to share your thoughts, and now to share a ride. A couple clicks gives you more options to more places for free. Register to ride share today at commuterconnections.org or 800-745-RIDE. Try our new Carpool Now app too. And we're back on the Wizards Tip-Off podcast presented by Commuter Connections. And Jay, I have Kevin Durant's full quotes here. They were said on the Bill Simmons podcast. He said, and this is right after the NBA Finals where he squared off against the Cavaliers and Kyrie Irving. He said, Kyrie is better than AI to me. I'm going from like skill for skill. His handle is better. And then he went on to say, um, we might have to cut that out. I don't want no problems with AI. Y'all might have to cut that one. I don't want that to get out. I'm just saying I feel like Kyrie got more skill, end quote. <laughs> so immediately he tried to walk it back. But um, on the face of it, Kyrie Irving versus Allen Iverson. I need to get your take because I asked some people around the office and uh, there were some, some youngsters, even younger than me, I'm, I'm 30, um, with some recency bias, I think, saying that, oh, well, hold on a second. Why isn't Kyrie Irving better than Allen Iverson? He's got a higher shooting percentage. That was the, really the, the central basis of their argument. Hey, look, Kyrie's handle might be the best I've ever seen. So um, Kyrie's shoot, I mean, I don't know if there's a better shot maker uh, under <laughs> under uh, six foot five in the in the league that I've ever seen. This guy can, I mean, <laughs> he can hit just about everything um, from unbelievable it's, angles. It's, it's it's he he's you know Kyrie could probably play basketball until he's about fifty or sixty because even when he's when, done when with he's the actually NBA, looking like Uncle Drew, yeah, he could play in these three on three leagues like Ice Cube's league. He could play with the Globe Trotters. He could play, he could play against. This guy hits shots that's just unbelievable. You know what? He would be a good halftime entertainment during some of these NBA games when he's like 70, probably still pulling off these crazy trick shots because <laughs> it's like he has no business making some of these shots. So I understand why Durant would say that. But look, you're in the heat of the moment. You just finished playing against the guy. You had difficulty shutting him down at times. So I, it's it, to me, it's a trend. Everybody who plays thinks that either their team or a player they played against or a player on their team is better than anybody who ever played in the past. Just like guys who played in the past, like the Detroit Pistons and all of these teams. Remember when Golden State was up 3-0 against Cleveland? And, you know, I got tired of seeing the stories where everybody who played, you know, before two, uh, before um, 2010 or whatever, you know, won a championship. Yeah, my team would have beaten them, Golden State. Yeah, my team. It's, you know, of course. I mean, that I think that's par for the course. Now, is Kyrie a better player than Allen Iverson? I'm taking AI. Um, Kyrie's a, a better, his shooting percentage is higher. But, but that's it. But, he, he's, he's a better shooter. He's won three-point contests. He's but, a better shooter than Allen Iverson, yeah, but that's it. That's it. I, the intangibles that Allen Iverson has, his toughness. I mean, this dude weighed, what, about 160 pounds? got obliterated by bigs like Shaq and would go in there and just, he didn't, fin- I mean, he could finesse it, but man, AI could play with power and strength and with force. Whereas. And he could throw down when he was younger too. Yeah. And, and he could play and th- there are these intangibles that you can't gauge by statistics. And the other thing I'll go to is this, you know, and you guys, you know, I said it many times about Kyrie, about how good was the Cavalier, were the Cavaliers, uh, before LeBron James got there when Kyrie was that guy. Um, Allen Iverson got a team with um, uh, Matt Geiger, Tyrone Hill. This is 2001? Yeah. Um, 
Aaron McKee wasn't a bad player, actually. Um, Kevin Ollie, <laughs> Theo Ratliff. Good coach. Yeah. He got them to the NBA Finals. When Kyrie is able to do that with a skeleton crew, then I will say Kyrie is a better player than Allen Iverson. They're, you're correct. I mean, we could look at different skill sets of different players and say, man, this guy, but, you know, well, this guy is better than this guy because he shoots better, because he jumps higher, because he's, but they're, they're, it's about more than just your handle. It's about more than uh, stats. It's about their intangible stuff that you just can't gauge. And, you know, if Kyrie actually made an effort to play defense, now granted, that wasn't Allen Iverson's strength either, but Ka- Kyrie Irving <laughs> makes absolutely no effort to defend. I mean, Iverson wasn't a, so bad. He wasn't a lockdown defender, but he did average 2.2 steals in his career. And there let, you go with these well, steals equaling he, he defense. Le- he led the league in, in steals per game three times. Uh, mm-hmm. He won four scoring titles, mm-hmm. uh, led the league in minutes per game uh, seven times. Kyrie Irving's never led the league in anything. That's true. That's true. Um, Iverson was also just kind of a transcendent player. I mean, he... That, yeah, now, if you're talking about greatness in terms of... Now, you're talking about things that goes beyond the court, right? About right. how you change the game. Now, yeah, when you come to that, that's, it's, hands down, it's hands down. If we're right. talking about that, to me, you can't even make an argument for Kyrie against Allen Iverson. Um, I think the 2001 team is, is a great point. If you switch them, if you put Kyrie Irving now, who's in his prime, on that team, they're not going to the NBA finals. <laughs> no, I they're mean, not. it's they're just not. not happening. They're not. And that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's absolutely ridiculous. And you put Allen Iverson on this LeBron James team that wanted, would he have potentially had a ring by now? Yeah, because he played with LeBron James. Yeah, and I think his shooting percentage would probably go up if the court was spaced yeah, like he, that and he was getting passes from LeBron James. Yeah, you and I could like have, we could get a ring if we Shoot played with LeBron James. Is that the over-under? We, yeah, we'd, we'd be like James Jones sitting on a bench just collecting rings and never playing. Right. But, yeah, I mean, if see, and that's the thing. That's where I think things get kind of slanted, that we overemphasize rings to the degree, and you and I were talking about this the last time, that it jades common sense. Like, there are a lot of guys who don't have rings that would have rings if they played with LeBron James. Right. And if Kyrie didn't play with LeBron James, would he have a ring if LeBron didn't come there? And they just had Kevin Love. And, of course not. So I wonder if that's, you not remove, the, that's not the definitive line between who's better than whom, in my opinion. If you removed LeBron James from that team, I mean, they'd still have Kevin Love, Tristan mm-hmm. Thompson. They'd still have some nice players. Yeah, a decent team, but... No. I mean, but they're, I don't think they're a top four seed. No, no, no. Yeah. They, I think they could be, they're a playoff team, maybe, but you know, you're looking at a... Maybe they get out of the first round, but that's it. Right. I mean, winning, it, it's amazing how that can change the perception, be, because before LeBron got there, no one would ever compare Kyrie Irving favorably to <sighs> Allen Iverson. Uh, yeah, it's... Now, it's, Kevin Durant's saying that he might be better than Allen Iverson. Yeah, and that's, you know, and again, that's being... And, and, and I like this, because this goes to show that even other players... Because I think we also put too much stock in what players say because players will always tell you, well, I played the game so I know, and you didn't. Well, they're prone to some of the same stuff that people who are spectators like, that, the same things. They see the oohs and ahs. They see the, the highlights on Sports Center, and they see all of these things that are, are fantastic, and they're like, man, I can't, I'm having trouble guarding this guy because they're so close to the situation they can't really remove themselves. Did Kevin Durant play against, uh, you know, he played against Kyrie Irving at the highest level. He never ran into I- I- Allen Iverson when AI was doing this. AI made the finals in 2001, and what, Kevin Durant came in the league in, what, 2007, 2008? Yeah. So 
it, it's, you know, people have a tendency to pick folks in their generation because I think it's just a natural thing because everybody wants to believe their generation is the better one. It's the tougher one. Um, you know, I was just reading something the other day, uh, other night where they said, oh man, we wish, uh, you know, this wasn't sports related. Oh yeah. We need to get back to where things were in the old days. Cause our generation was better. We were kinder to each other. Right. I said, right, really? Pre-civil rights era? Yeah. Sure. Right. Yeah. Sure. That was really that. Yeah, you had manners. Right. Yeah. Right. Never mind you were hosing people and sicking German shepherds on them, but you were nicer to each other. Uh, give me a break. Yeah. Everybody thinks their era, whether it's in society, whether it's in sports, was better than all the ones that preceded it. And I think this is where Kevin Durant kind of gets lost with the Kyrie Irving versus Allen Iverson. Not taking anything away from Kyrie, but... Hey man, there's to me, Allen Iverson could get fifty on you with a separated shoulder. I don't know if Kyrie has that kind of junkyard dog in him like AI yeah, did. That, that reminds me of a Louis C.K. bit one time. He he was talking about uh, time machines. He was like, the only people who ever talk about going back in time are uh, white people. <laughs> 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 he, he was like, I'm a white dude. I could go back to any time and I'd be fine. Because <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, this is the great. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's I, I you know. <sighs> Yeah, I, I, this just actually just happened to me yesterday. This lady uh, commented to me. She said, yeah, you know, it was better uh, back um, when we, uh, and she was referring to, I think, like the 50s or something. And she said, yeah, it's because, you know, people aren't really nice these days because back then we were nicer because we had prayer in schools. Like, again, and I mentioned that point. To her. I was like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I don't, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, people, yeah, people can really. get nostalgic and, and wax poetic. Hey, we might be guilty of that with Allen Iverson, of course, but maybe. Um, but it's but like, hey, the NBA was pretty darn good back then too. Hey, look, I feel. Look, I look at it this way. I like to. Now, Chris Miller, I always got to bring him up, even when that blockhead isn't here. He likes <laughs> to say that I'm being a contrarian, which sometimes I am, because I like people to really think about, like, okay, are you sure about that? Did you consider this aspect and that aspect? Now, if you still hold the same opinion, fine. You know, everybody's got an opinion. Nobody's necessarily right or wrong on these things. But, but you, I don't think sometimes people consider the other angles or the other avenues like, okay, before you say that, you need to consider this and consider that. Now, whatever conclusion you draw after that, that's fine. But if you want to listen to your own set of facts, there are these other facts here that, that you need to factor into the conversation. And so it's, it's, it's not as cut and dry, these things, I guess, black and white. Right. As, as we kind of like to make them seem. And one final point I would on say on, on that is one of the counter arguments I heard was, oh, well, the NBA is a lot deeper now if you look at the all-NBA teams. That may be true, but if you look at the stars back then, mm-hmm. uh, Shaquille O'Neal was the best center in the league in the early 2000s. He's better than any center right now. Yeah. Tim Duncan was the best power forward. He's better than any power forward right now. And Kobe yeah. was the best shooting guard. He was better yeah. than any shooting guard. At, at this point, you know, you'd have LeBron at the small forward position if you were coming up with the best five from these eras. And there's plenty of point guards you could pick, but there were some pretty darn good players back then. And Allen Iverson was cutting it up. Hey, he hey, was by, dominating. Hey, by the way, think about this. You're Allen Iverson. You got to drive into the lane and Shaquille O'Neal is there. Yeah. <laughs> you are Kyrie Irving. You drive into the lane and Zaza Pachulia is there. Right. Uh, only a difference of about 60 pounds <laughs> of muscle. And all sorts of skill and talent and shot blocking and ability. And, right. Ugh. And, and probably refed a little bit differently. The, the of course, games as well. Yeah, yes. yeah. It wasn't the '80s, but it was. They could probably it get away st- with a little. It was bit a lot more physical, no doubt right. about it. All right. Once again, this is the Wizards Tip Off podcast presented by Commuter Connections. A couple of clicks is all it takes to save time and money on your commute. Scheduled or on demand, it's free at commuterconnections.org or 800-745-RIDE. You can also get the Carpool Now app um, in the iTunes Store and and where apps are available. All right. Let's close with the. Uh, 
the last few days and until the draft uh, takes place on Thursday night, the Wizards pick 52nd overall in the second round. Probably going to be a long night. Um, we'll, we might hear from Ernie Grunfeld. We might hear from Scott Brooks. But whenever the, the Wizards make their pick, it's probably going to be pretty late in the night. Uh, but with a few days left, they've got one final workout. And Jay, you got uh, a hold of some of the names that they'll have in that workout. Um, you know, we all already knew that LJ Peak uh, from Georgetown is going to be there, but there were some other kind of intriguing prospects. Some internet, at least one international guy, right? Uh, what what can you tell us about them? Uh, yeah, you're looking at the uh, the guy from Serbia, um, <laughs> from Serbia. Well, he's not from Serbia; he's from France, but he he played in um, played in Serbia. Um, Alpha Kaba, um, great name by the way. Yeah, six ten. Uh, I've actually seen some uh, some of him. Um, it's it, it's hard to gauge. It's it's like gauging um, players in D League who you've never seen play in the NBA. You know, because people get all crazy about oh he's doing this in the D League, which drives me insane because that's nothing like you're going to encounter in the NBA. And it's the same for players that play internationally. Like it's hard to gauge because you're not sure how some of that stuff translates. He's a really good athlete, six foot ten, can shoot, um, and and is a good finisher and. He's a guy that they've looked at, um, that they've had their eye on. He's going to be part of the workout. Uh, if you, and he could factor in if some of the better, the bigger, better names that you know we've already talked about before, like Tyler Dorsey and Dylan Brooks and uh, Frank Mason and um, 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 Monte Morris, those type of guys are gone. Then you're starting to look at a guy like you know Alpha Cobb, who's a guy that's going to take development. Uh, who is going to take some time. And so fans won't get excited about it because they don't know him. They've never seen him. And it's something that could take a, a couple of years to come fruition if he were to make the roster. But, um, and, and, you know, it, it, but those are the kind of guys you usually get at 52. Um, now, the other thing the Wizards could do, which I, I'm not sure it's a strong possibility, is move up in the draft and, you know, get some of the names I've mentioned already. I'm going to tell you right now, if Dylan Brooks somehow were available uh, at 52, he's going to be in a Wizards uniform. Uh, and that he's projected to go in the second half or the second round is kind of surprising to me uh, because he has so many intangibles, you know, stuff that we were just talking about with Allen Iverson, some of the intangibles that I like in a guy who's, who's got some good size to him. Um, not the greatest athleticism, but he's a decent athlete. Um, a guy like that, and I'm gonna tell you another guy. If he's available, I think the Wizards will definitely go with him. Is Monte Morris? Um, because this guy, you know, I think I mentioned him as my number one guy that I would take among the guards. I would take him over Frank Mason and and some of the other ones because uh, he can run an offense. He's got great vision. He can. He's got good mid range. I'm not sure about his three point shot, but he's got good mid range form. Very good at protecting the ball. But very but few turnovers. The true, the true test. But th- this is what I mean when I when I look at guys' numbers, and you're right about his ball security. Uh, something that the Wizards could do be- do a better job at. Something that they can sometimes. I, I mean, you know, I think get out of whack. Based on advanced numbers, Draft Express said he's one of the best point guards in the entire country okay. at limiting turnovers. And the true test, though, for Morris is this. Um, it's not his stat line, which is, you know, impressive with the turnovers. How did he do? What is the closest type of NBA style defense that he encountered last season? West Virginia. 
West Virginia presses like nobody else and has great athletes from top to bottom. He had one turnover against West Virginia. So it's one thing if you only have one turnover or no turnovers, you know, against a mid-level college team or even a decent college team. But when you play a team that has an NBA style in the way they defend and physical and long and athletic, the kind of guys that he will see at the next level, and he's able to run the offense and be that good you have a better idea of what he potentially could be at the next level. So those are the sorts of little pockets of information that you look for, more so than the overall number. The overall number is great, but sometimes you got to make a, have a test to see, is this legit or is this an aberration? And I think with him, it's legitimate that he is a true point guard. And I know, I think if he's available based off of what I've gathered, uh, man, it's going to be hard to pass him up when you consider – that they need that sort of guy on this roster doesn't mean that he's going to perform next year if they were to get him and he's instantly going to be great. But I think that's a calculated, a safe risk to take that could really pay off long term. Yeah, there are a few guys in the late 30s and 40s range that seem like they'd be really hard to pass up for the Wizards. I think um, Frank Mason can probably be included in that, right? He's he's a guy who I think in other drafts might be a little bit closer to being a first round pick, maybe an early second mm-hmm. round pick. It's a deep draft, so um, you have to wonder if they're going to be enticed to trade up a little bit and get a Monte Morris or somebody like that. Yeah, the the thing is, too, you know, what do you have to offer that somebody's going to want in trading up? You know, and the other thing, too, is, you know, if here's the biggest question I wonder about the Wizards that, you know, I I was I was just thinking about and I was talking to some uh, scouts about over the past week. What do you do with Gortat Mahimi? Because I think that's their biggest I thought coming into the season, that's where they had some from variety. You said saw that you thought like at least I thought that Mahimi was a little bit different skill set than than Gortad. He could play a little bit more away from the rim defensively and whatnot. But he wasn't really comfortable defending away from the rim, especially if you look at that Boston series against Kelly Olynyk. He's a better option than Gortad defending away from the rim, but he's still actually a low post player. So now you have duplication there, which is not quite Gortad Nene because Nene was a better offensive option in both. But if you could find a way, and this again is a big if and is a big risk, uh, and somebody was interested in one of them, where you could trade up, not only shed the salary, but you can get rid of that du- duplication that you have there. Because most teams are going to more smaller lineups anyway, right? Uh, so you could get rid of salary, you can um, tra- you know, trade up and um, you know, maybe make some sort of move where you can get up and take a risk on a guy like a Dylan Brooks or a Monte Morris or whatever, uh, would that be worth it? I think it would be worth the risk. That's, that's the kind of thing I think um, ideally that they would be able to pull off. But man, that's hard because those contracts, Gortat's on a good t- contract, but it's still $12 million. Mahimi's making $16 million, missed 50 games last year. I don't know if there'd be a market, somebody clamoring to get, um, uh, get a guy like Mahimi who's coming off the issues that he had. But I think, you have to, you know, just like we just talked about Paul George, you have to ask the question. You have to try to make a move. You have to try to do some things to, to mix it up and, and make an impact. I mean, I think it's the same thing when it comes to this draft because last year's draft, it wasn't worth giving up assets to move up, to move into the draft. With this draft, I think there's, there's better options where even there's just too many possibilities. And so many good players like Brooks, like Mason, uh, uh, like Morris, um, so many good players are, I wouldn't say dropping, but there's some guys who are 21, 22 years old who 
are not projected to go early because their being in college has been held against them. Whereas, you know, you in college one year, most of those guys are at the top of the draft. So I think you have some good, mature, developed players right now that you could potentially pull. You know, maybe maybe move up to forty. You could definitely get one of those guys. If you at get 40. to forty, then you might get a guy who in other drafts would be a first round pick. You could, yeah. yeah. This is a, this I think a good it's draft. that good of a draft. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned trying to trade Jan Mahimi. You know, a team that does know a lot about him and has a, a player in Paul George that uh, the Wizards might be interested in, Indiana Pacers. Maybe that's how you start those trades. But may, may, maybe what they know about him isn't good. Maybe it is good. I mean, he actually played, he had his best season for them in Indiana. Yeah, he was very good for the Pacers. But again, he's $16 million, coming off some injuries to his knees. That knocks down. They probably feel like they got rid of him at the right time. Yeah, so I mean, that, that, kind, that, that kind of hurts value and what you're able to get. So I don't anticipate that I'll be able to do anything like that, but I do wonder... In the broader picture, maybe not when we're dealing with the um, the draft, maybe come trade deadline or whatever. Um, they got to. I think they got to figure out exactly what they're doing there because I see two bigs who play most comfortably in the low post, and it's, it's just it's redundant. It's, yeah, it's going. It's going it away give, from what they're, yeah. yeah. It, it, that's absolutely right, and you know we'll find out um, what the Wizards' direction, what direction they're going to go on Thursday as the NBA draft takes place. Uh, right now, they're picking in the second round, 52nd overall. And we'll have a, another podcast on Friday. We'll recap the draft, see what the Wizards do. Maybe it's a big move. Uh, maybe they stay at 52nd and pick a guy that we'll be able to evaluate. And then, of course, right after that, free agency will begin. So the offseason for the Wizards is really going to heat up. Uh, we'll be back uh, at least once a week with the Wizards Tip-Off podcast. Thank you for listening to the latest episode. <laughs>